Morning Liberty. Whoa, that change track is coming in hot right there. Sorry about that, guys. Man, this is Good Morning Liberty. If you care about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning, then you are in the right place, for sure. In the studio today with us, by studio I mean this room in Charlie's place, today with us is none other than Mr. Dustin Sendejas. Did I say the last Yeah, name? you okay. did. What's Sendejas? up, man? Yeah. That's a good that's you got that's a quality uh intro bumper <laughs> yeah. that you have. I uh, I stuck that uh, I snuck a Darling Parade song there in the beginning. That's cool. Just to just to get I hope I hope no one calls me for royalties later. But, but uh, <laughs> those so. those don't exist. <laughs> I don't think that's they do. a fiction that I think is just selling dreams to kids. <laughs> so we've known you for how long now? Would you say uh, over ten years? Right? You guys were around two thousand six, or, six or seven. I've been in Nashville for ten years. So so it's yeah. been um, man, it's been back in the back in the old clock tower Rose McDays. Mm-hmm. So. Been a while. I, I think I was 17 and I'm 30 now. So that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 13 years right there. Um, yeah, well, I was I was older, uh, but I'm also 30 now. Surprise! Like, I don't know how that works. <laughs> that's <but>. amazing. Wow, <laughs> I got to figure out how you did that. It's been so long that I know that you were in a different band when we first met, and I don't even remember what it was. Yeah. Oh, before Rose McCoy. Yes. Um, that one was called uh, Frequently Divided. Oh, that okay. One. Yeah. Well, there you go. That Charlie and I were in that band together. Yeah. Uh, Didn't even remember. We tried to not ever mention that one, but we. That's okay. We broke. I, that. I think if you're in music, you like don't hold the old silly things against people because yeah. nobody starts off good, and like <laughs> we all have like you know two, three, four bands in our past that are just absolute cringe. So it's just like, yeah, that's it's cool. That's everybody. We can't all be in scuff. You know, yeah. we're just, it just wasn't an option for us. That was, that just wasn't going Somewhere there's a twinkle so. in, in, in Todd's narcissistic yeah. eye just being like, it's all about, me. it all comes back to me. You almost did his voice like perfectly. I was trying to, I was trying to. I still, I, I love that guy. I don't mean to yeah. throw any shade. I'm actually going to go see him pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to mention before we get, you know, right into this conversation that you have two minutes to hit the subscribe button on this podcast. <laughs> And uh, what that does for you is uh, the very next podcast we record on Monday will go right to your phone. Yeah. It's amazing. Free, free of charge, actually. And it's, a, it's amazing. We've automated that process. You just hit subscribe. And what will happen is your podcast app will give you our next podcast for free. All you got to do is hit that button. So but you've only got the next minute to do it, ladies and gentlemen. You got to put scarcity on things. I don't think they'll notice that the button stays there the whole time, but... We got to make sure they know that you have to do it right now, for sure. But we wanted to talk a little bit, uh, a little bit about our our libertarian values, and I don't know if that's a big L or small L uh, for for you, Dustin. But um, I guess mine is big L because I actually did join the party. I've got my card, card carrying member of the Libertarian Party, whatever that means. But we want to talk a little bit about liberty, kind of where we're at, how crazy this place is becoming. For sure, it doesn't matter on your state, your local level, or all the way up to the federal. For sure, uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of nuts. And I know you're always you're always playing in the music industry and everything, but I know you're keeping up with all the with all the political happenings too, a little bit too. Yeah, I I, I cruise through Twitter. I think maybe my um, what qualifies the headlines for me might be different uh, because I don't I don't tend to check like major news sites. I just kind of see what people are talking about. 
Yeah. And then whenever something strikes my curiosity, you know, I, I follow that. Because I, I, I came to this uh, world more from like old philosophy than uh, modern politics, just by accident, honestly. Yeah. I was like a philosophy student uh, in college. And we read all the old social contract theorists, you know, John Locke, I'm sure you've heard. He's, mm-hmm. he's a big name in libertarian, you know, Hobbes, Rousseau, Rawls, all of that. And so it was just whatever, just kid reading that. And uh, I realized like none of them, none of them had good arguments for the, there being this social contract thing yeah. or the state. And so I was like, I well, if I don't agree with any of this, what does that make me? Like, I, I guess the government's not legitimate. I don't even know where to go with that. So that, that sort of like stayed dormant for a little while. Yeah. And then then Ron Paul happened in 2007. And I was like, oh, I like what this guy's saying. And it, it kind of like clicked with a um, contemporary ideology, I guess, stuff that was already in my head. We just saw Ron Paul actually at that, that convention we were telling you about at the Young Americans for Liberty Oh, did uh, you really? Conference. He went, yeah, he was there. He was there speaking. That was actually our second time seeing seeing Ron Paul speak because we drove all the way up to Iowa for a Rand Paul campaign rally one uh-huh. time because Ron Paul was speaking at it. Yeah. Um, well, supporting Rand also, but uh, we we really enjoyed hearing from. It was really crazy actually being in the room with the guy. Got to take some pictures with him, and uh, and that was an honor for sure because I think we've all kind of got our Ron Paul story of when yeah. when the world just kind of changed a little bit. He, seeing someone actually up there talking about the things he was talking about. I I made the mistake of uh, when he because we were at the front entrance of the hotel when he got there, mm-hmm. and I made the mistake when he walked in. I guess I was nervous, and I was like, uh, yeah. I was like, hey, Mister Paul, like, <laughs> could have said uh, could have said congressman or doctor, but uh, yeah. I said uh, I said Mister Paul. Well, he's a he's a sweet old man. I don't think he. No, you, he you was... probably could have called him. Mrs. Paul, you yeah. had to be like, ah, you know, <laughs> understandable. He was, he was super nice. We did try to support Rand also when he was running because we, even though I don't know how I don't know where where you're at on this kind of idea, but you know, my general idea is that the our liberties have been taken away over a span of you know like a hundred years or more now, and you know, well, probably started slowly being taken away from the formation of the federal government, really. Um, so they've been taken away over a really long period of time, especially starting in the early 1900s. But uh, so I think it's going to take a long time to get back to that. And and since I think that, I think we're going to have to take several several small steps back in that direction for mm-hmm. for us to ever get there. So that's why we're like someone like Rand, where I don't agree with everything he says, or he's a little bit too much of a politician sometimes, I feel like, but but guys like that, and him, and Thomas Massey, and Amash, and, and uh, Mike Lee, and all these kind of guys, like, those are really, really great steps in the right direction, for sure, and I, I hate to put a lot of emphasis on the political steps, but the fact remains that we are, that we do have a government in control of everything, and it would be nice to have better people running running that, maybe slowing down the train that's going off the cliff or uh, trying to turn it back in the other direction. Yeah, I think where I, um, I've, I've waffled from place to place on like how hardcore does one, you know, of a life does one maintain. And I think ultimately uh, what makes the most sense to me is that everyone do what is in their best um, capacity to do. And I think anyone 
moving the needle that direction is on the same team. Is how, how that's how I think of it. If if it's like the hardcore uh, anarchist who doesn't want to abide by any law or participate in the slightest, all the way to like maybe someone who's not like a full on libertarian, just a a Democrat or Republican, but who thinks let's make this all a little smaller. Yeah. I think anyone looking that direction and trying to move the needle that way, I kind of consider on the same team and we can work out all the smaller things yeah. afterward. It's like uh, Jason Stapleton, this other guy that we listen to, he's always yeah. saying like, we're all on the same, let's get on the bus together and go in the, and maybe, maybe I'll hop off at Minarchist and, right. and you can keep going towards anarchy if that's where you want to go. But let's all get on the bus together and go in that direction. And we can each, you know, take our little stops as we get there when we, when we start to disagree. But we all agree in the direction that the bus needs to go. For yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what I think. One thing we were talking about before the show, we were talking about you know some different messaging and things. And one thing I think a th- you know a small third party like the Libertarian has one problem is that there is too much of this like infighting that we have, where it's like we can't agree on the ultimate or whatever a direction that we're heading. And it's like if you don't, some anarchists will say, well, if you don't agree with me, then like you're just a statist and people who don't believe in anarchy be like, well, you're just a, a wacko. And mm. it's like, we're fighting for the same things. And this messaging yeah. is really important that we make sure that we convey to people so that we can have some type of viable choice when it comes to, uh, you know, putting someone up that does not, uh, let's say advance Liberty, but instead they advance tyranny, which is, which is where we've been moving since America's inception yeah. basically. So it's like, we have to figure out, you know, how do we craft that message uh, to reach normal people where they're at to say, hey, these ideas are not uh, wacko and they're not status. They're they're in your best interest. And how do we how do we do that? So I think one thing that that would definitely help a party like the Libertarian Party uh, would be able to to work on the messaging of that party to hone in normal people to say uh, this is this is why these ideas are best for you, not this in-group fighting of I'm more libertarian than you are. Yeah, the messaging is really the, that's the biggest puzzle, I think. Um, Because people can have all of their facts in order, but, uh, you know, and Scott Adams talks about this a lot in the context of analyzing politics, but how how facts don't matter. And of course, that's a bit of an overstatement because there's some people that really are convinced by like uh, statistical arguments, but like we were talking about before, uh, Nate, when you were discussing different personality types, it's a really small sliver um, that tends to be persuaded uh, by logic. Yeah. It's mostly about appeal to emotion. And I think people emphasizing their strengths is, is the best way to go. And I mean, being able to reach just a couple of friends or family uh, is often... I mean, that's more than maybe you could do from like a political platform if you don't have the personality or the talents or the capacity to be in that sort of role. Um, because it's it's funny, if you look at, so the, the two people who probably advanced like libertarianism the most, right, are at least in the last hundred years, like Ron Paul and Ayn Rand, right? And they're totally different, Yeah, you know? If you've ever listened to any uh, Ayn Rand's interviews, um, they're very enjoyable. <laughs> I, yeah, I really no, get a I, kick I out. Have, yeah. um, she she's vicious, you know. 
and is like blunt and sort of not it's weird like respectful but also kind of mean in her in her tactless bluntness you know and that worked and then you listen to ron paul and he's just the most gentle like sweetheart that you've ever heard so there's clearly not it's not like oh you have to speak this way you have to lean into who you are and it's a it is a real puzzle um but i think changing values and culture is the it's the more effective strategy do you think that speaking of ayn rand you know she had i read there's a collection of essays i think it's a collection of essays from hers and, and it's titled the uh is it the virtue of selfishness i i believe that there you can that actually, sounds right you can get that on audible and i was i was thinking the other day even though she is you know one of the biggest figures in this ideology do you think it's a in a positive light that she is one of the biggest figures in this ideology that someone who talked about selfishness as a virtue do you think that's perceived by a, a decent amount of people to be a good thing or do you think it's actually hurting the the ideology the way well the way you phrase the question decent amount of people then then yeah. i would say no it's not a positive it's not a positive thing i mean yeah. uh for some for a small for a non-decent amount of people, <laughs> it's it's a positive thing. But I think for most people, um, she she's like second-tier villain right below, you know, actual despots, yeah. Pol Pot and Stalin or whatever, and then somebody like Ayn Rand is, is right below. And I think it really is from maybe the kind of, like you just mentioned, uh, you know, the virtue of selfishness. It's almost like a um, an unfortunate semantic yeah. situation because selfishness to us for the most part like colloquially means um being willing to uh hurt others harm deceive uh defraud others for your own immediate gain yeah. right and that is not at all what she means by no. by selfishness i think that is part of the issue is that we we have a different definition of selfishness than obviously the one that she was talking about because i'm in complete agreement with her and i don't i uh i i don't know how i i maybe maybe i phrased it negatively for someone listening and really likes ayn rand i i'm not in any way saying that i see her negatively whatsoever but uh people from the outside i think they definitely do but there really is a virtue in in selfishness and the, this idea that everything that we do throughout the day is selfish, but not in the negative, the terrible selfish <laughs> definition that we have now. But everything that we do throughout the day, I, I really do think, is selfish. And that can get painted in a really bad light. Um, but what I eventually, when I was working through that, found out that you know, I would say this, like maybe I would say this to my wife and she would say, well, my mom, you know, she just would do anything. She does anything for her kids or something like that. And I'm being the personality type that I am. I'm like, well, that's because that's what she cares about. And that's what makes her feel better. And and, and she created them, right? Yeah, so yeah. you're kind of you're kind of on the, like if I make a mess, if <laughs> yeah. I spill Kool-Aid on your counter, it's my responsibility to clean it up. Yeah. If you create life, you know, you're you're kind of on the hook to to make sure everything goes all right. You can't just be like, well, good luck, y'all. You know, that's that's your, that's your a result of your actions. But, but in thinking through that, I realized if it, you know, maybe you help people because it makes you feel better, but 
in that being the truth, it actually does mean that you're a good person, that it makes you feel better to help other people. And so that this idea can be looked at in a really negative way, um, I actually think it's a, a really great way of looking at things. Um, her mom helps her children because she's a great mom. And maybe this selfish that she cares the most about her kids and that, and that's, that's what it is. And yeah. And, and there's uh, no changing that. that. I mean, that's biology. Yeah. That's genetics that goes deeper to who we are than, um, than whatever our ethical philosophy is on paper and that what we can contemplate, you know, that's, that's like the chemicals we're made of is compelling you to take care of your children. That's- I, I always tell people when they're like, Oh, well I'm not selfish. And I always use the example. Well, you know, if your kid was drowning and your neighbor's kid was drowning at the same time, like which one right. are you going to save <laughs> yeah. first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like you, of course, you want to save both of them because mm-hmm. like you're a good person, but you're going to save your kid first. Yeah, like, everyone will. And there's nothing like morally wrong about that. Mm-hmm. It's just that you have a deep-seated biological connection to the creation that you've helped make. Yeah, and so it's like. That in and of itself is technically selfish, but it doesn't mean that you're a, a bad person or or any type of morally reprehensible type of person. Right, or that it's abusive. I think that that's the the connotation that selfishness has nowadays is that it's like an like an abusive thing. You know, right? I I I, I would push you down the flight of stairs to if I could get a sandwich. You know, right? Or whatever. Like I'll hurt you for my own gain. But and I'm no expert on Ayn Rand, but it really has to do with. Uh, it's like selfishness is on the other end of the spectrum from altruism for her. Right. Altru- you know, and altruism, she phrased, if I recall accurately, as like um, the philosophy under which every man is enslaved to every other man. That the highest good is self-sacrifice. And so like um, making yourself, you know, nothing and making everyone else what you work for. And then everyone else is supposed to... Uh, act in accordance with that. So, so this is altruism as she saw it mostly nowadays when we say altruism, we just mean being kind to people. Right. So all of, all of these words like Charitable, colloquially, yeah, yeah. They have a different definition. Um, so, so really the core for her was like autonomy. It seems like, you know, uh, self self ownership because under philosophy of altruism, you don't own yourself. The moral good is to be enslaved to everyone, right. which is what she saw as evil. Well, so, that- if you, so if you look at that on the broader spectrum of, let's say, society, because we all live in society, it's like which one of those, or, or if you go to the far end of the spectrums, which one of those most benefit the lot of the people, let's say? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you know, if, if, if everyone is altruistic in that definition that we're talking about, uh, Ayn Rand's definition, it's like if everyone is a slave to everyone else, then what productive goods what what productive um things happen you know basically none yeah you would you would think and then if everyone is self-interested well then you're taking care of yourself and maybe your family but if everyone does that and you're all doing self-interested things just the way like the free market works is you have people that hate each other that still cooperate because you need each other yeah yeah you you know what's a uh a, a nice way to like apply this in a small personal level that I've done in my friendships that Mm -hmm. smooths them out is rather than um, trading favors and sort of uh, tacitly or not like on on a small scale, taking advantage of one another by expecting your friends to do things for you, then getting mad if they don't treat you in the same way. Over the last few years, I've started and, and most of my friends act in the same way. Instead of expecting favors from people, 
uh, and then you kind of like maybe bottle up a little bit of annoyance, like ah, I don't really want to go do this to this guy. You just you just introduce money into it. You just like, um, hey, if I if I throw you ten bucks, can you come help me with blah? Yeah. Or like, hey, how much uh, how much would you need uh, to drive me like you know forty minutes out this way and then back? And even though uh, at first that might like not sound you know it gives yeah, that, yeah. like it raises like people's hackles like oh, yeah. what's the it, it honestly smooths out friendships so much more you don't get these little passive aggressive situations where you're like you're mad because you had to do four things for this guy and then it's like oh well then i ask him to borrow his lawnmower and he says no, you know and then yeah. you get all angry at each other it just <laughs> circumvents all of that that's it and then a lot of times what what i assume would would happen is the friend Sometimes would say, uh, "Well, no, you don't have to give me money for you know I'll, exactly." I'll, I'll but yeah. you offered, right? So you offered, and the, and that's good. You you acknowledge the fact that their time is valuable, um, and they can either have the value of your friendship in that time or some value of money mm-hmm. to to represent that time, um, and then they can they can choose which one they they actually care about, I guess. And sometimes it might matter. Uh, what kind of financial situation they're in and whether or not they can they can help you out with yeah of course is, help you move or do anything like that i i was gonna say on the the one one last thing on the selfishness and 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 ayn rand is is a uh, it's it's in your best interest that your society does not inevitably uh starve to death and burn to the ground you know <laughs> yeah so it's a very very selfish interest that you will want your that you will want prosperity and you will want society to you will want uh, new things to be created. So even if the poorest people among us have some kind of a cell phone and and uh, you know they're not they're not starving to death and and progress moves up to to where we can all get on our phone and have someone bring us food like hey like, man yeah that's 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 amazing because you, you're in your selfish nature. Your selfish nature does not include your entire world burning to the ground at all. So, no. so that's why it's a it's an okay thing to kind of I don't to accept really because it it ultimately means that society it, you will do things for the betterment of society because you're a part of that society and the, and, yeah. and so I think that's something maybe where she gets she gets kind of misunderstood there. But the 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 bad part about this is that. If you're someone who has a different personality type that's listening to this right now, or a, you know, opposite personality type, you're like, this this all just sounds evil and terrible and disgusting yeah. and mm-hmm. and selfish and and so what I what I like to focus on is what are the things we can actually do to show people that uh, I guess to say capitalism, which I just think is the free exchange of people's time and people's value with one another, whatever. If you're using money or if you're bartering or doing whatever, I still think capitalism is just people uh, exchanging their values with one another. Uh, so what's the best way to show people that that's the best thing to do? That's the best thing for the people that you care about. If you're if you're someone, if you're a democratic socialist and you care about the the poor single mother with four kids who can't who can't buy food, you know, you have to make that case that what we're talking about right now is actually the best thing for for that person. And that's a tough thing we're trying to figure out how to do right now because um, it sounds hard because it is hard because the answer is that you have to be productive and that you have to actually 
create value and, and things that other people deem valuable, whether it's someone buying something directly from you or your employer, your employer buying your time. Um, you have to, you have to do those things. And, and the problem is in our answer, it equals everyone being responsible for, for themselves. And that's kind of a, a bit of a losing argument right now. Yeah, that's true because it sounds, um, it sounds uncompassionate to people. Yeah. You know, if, if, because like, people are in bad situations sometimes, and it's not their fault. Of course, of course. Know? I mean, life is a mixture of all of it, you know? Yeah. There's there's luck, there's your own decisions, uh, and, and it all so, it all it all plays out in tandem. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as reaching people, yeah, in my own experience, having a rapport is kind of the only way that it works to any good effect and that it doesn't end up in just a Facebook argument where people get mad at one another and then the next time you see each other it's a little bit icy. Yeah. Um ha- having some kind of rapport with someone, I think that that's the best way that works for most people and then if you are particularly adept or have some capacity that allows you to have a larger platform in a way that just works for you. Like I said, like the like I said earlier, the difference between Ayn Rand and Ron Paul is so huge. But somehow they both were, were able to use their platforms to persuade a lot of people. And I think that's a rare kind of person who has that talent or that capacity that they can use to persuade um, a lot of people. But for, for most, I think having a rapport is really what's going to work because then you don't have that. I mean, hopefully anyway, you get around the anger. Yeah. And the you know if you're talking to like a family or friend, um, it's not usually going to get to the point of like, I never want to see you again or something. Yeah. Unless you're really abrasive in this sort of thing. And I know personally people that I've kind of like pulled over to this side. Um, yeah, it came from just we were already friends, and then topics just came up, and I wasn't a dick about anything. You know, right. I just gave my opinion. <laughs> right. And that, the same thing with my. With my older brother, I've I've talked about before on the show. You know, we shout outs. Yeah, we we disagree a lot on a, on very very many things, but on the things that we do agree on that we can talk about, and maybe like you slip a couple things in that kind of appeal to some emotions or things that he thinks about. Uh, I've got him to go from full on democratic socialism to now he calls himself a libertarian socialist which is conflicting in and of itself, <laughs> but it's still closer. Yeah, because now he's like. He's like, I hate the government, but I I hate private corporations more. Sure. Which, you know, it's, we'll a, take step, it. it's a step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. you know, because it's like, you know, uh, it's better than being full on, well, government is, is the savior, mm-hmm. you know, because now at least we've, we've moved from the savior of the government on down. I like to, you know, a specific example, one thing I was talking to somebody about the other day is... Because I love history. And mm. so if you look at, I, I read a great book, I've talked about it so many times, called Progress by Johann Nor- Norberg. And if you look at most of human history, it's all been dismal, right? Yes. Yeah. Like we live mm-hmm. in the greatest time ever. In human history ever, it's unbelievable the things that we're able to do. Um, like Nate mentioned, you can get on your phone and order food to your house and like somebody will make it for you and pick it up for you and bring it to you all within like 30 minutes. It's yeah. Incredible. And all the things... The standard of living is so ridiculously high, especially for everybody that lives in, in the Western world. But if you look at, you know, a mere hundred years ago, 
you know, when life expectancy was 50 mm-hmm. and most of your kids died. And even if you were rich and, you know, I think it was like 89% of people in 1900 lived on less than a dollar a day in today's money. Yeah. So yeah. what I see an example, I was talking to somebody about the other day, for instance, like minimum wage laws, like, you know, oh, it's not fair to not pay people, you know, at least this minimum wage because we've gotten used to a certain standard in America, let's say. And what I always say is like, okay, you know, take a homeless guy and, you know, say you can only afford to pay him two bucks an hour. Um, that's two bucks an hour that he had more than what he did when he didn't, uh, when he was. Oh, and why not have the option? And, and What's wrong exactly. with just giving somebody the choice? I mean, if it sucks, then they'll be like, nah. And if you and if you look at history and you believe in evolution and you see how far we've come, like, okay, maybe he makes two dollars an hour, but maybe he meets a homeless girl, then she also makes two dollars an hour and together they make four dollars an hour and they able they're able to, you know, at least have some food and things that they didn't have when they were homeless, and maybe they have a kid. And then they're they want their kid to have a better life than they did, so they sacrifice for themselves, kinda like we've done throughout all of human history. And then their kid goes on to make, you know, ten dollars an hour and then, you know, Two or three generations down the road, or maybe four generations, now you have, you know, their great great grandchild is now a CEO. Yeah, well, stu- stuff like, doesn't come from nowhere. You exactly, know? you have that progress, but it's very hard for people to see that timeline because it's always like, well, this person's suffering now. How do we take care of it right now? And it's you, you, the world is a cruel place, right? It's sometimes you just can't take care of things right now. I do believe heavily in charity, and I think that that's voluntarily people helping people in you know let's say sticky situations or or when life is really difficult i mean you meet all kinds of people that have all these unbelievable problems you know where life is just really hard like their mom has cancer and they've got an autoimmune disease and their sister died yeah abuse and illness you know those yes yeah so all those types of things and you're like wow like that that's a really hard life and so how do you thwart that i guess and it's like well you know maybe through evolution and, and the way that we've progressed as society, uh, the more things that we figure out and the efficiencies that we create and, you know, all the crazy things that uh, a capitalist society has been able to raise a standard of living for, like maybe two or three generations down the road, you know, those poor people aren't poor anymore. Nate and I grew up in trailers. You know what I mean? Like my mom raised three boys making like $18,000 a year for my whole life, you know? And that's now, impressive. And now like one generation later, like, I'm able to have a really good job and provide all kinds of things for my kid. And maybe like, he'll be even better than me. And so like you have that progression and I try to explain people that like, it's not just about who we are today, but it's like, what kind of society can we become uh, in the future? If we adopt some of these ideas? Well, you know, some like the industrial revolution often gets uh, like that, that period will get demonized, right? Because mm-hmm. long working hours, child labor, uh, unsafe working conditions and things like that. But, but, People do compare it to the standard of today where a lot more wealth exists rather than comparing it to the thing that came before it, yeah. which was like <laughs> subsistence farming for almost everyone, you know? So, yeah, I mean, um, wealth takes a long time to grow until you can get I, – I mean, heck, I am, you know, I, I don't want to call anybody else out. Everyone has their own situation, so, so, so nobody – Nobody accused me of, you know, hashtag poor shaming or whatever. <laughs> but just personally, I mean, I'm an example of the prosperous American poor, you know? I, I'm like, I am terminally bohemian. I, I like I like writing songs and doing odd jobs and sleep until 11. And, you know, 
honest in this society since i don't have any uh, uh debt i was i was wise enough not to accrue any of that um i can i can work 15 hours in a week if i feel like it yeah or if i want to make more i can work 30 or 40 and you know pay my rent and whatever it's and and it's cool and i have the uh the wealth accumulated over time to uh to thank for that. That's one of the bad things we do is you said the comparing the past to today's conditions. Right. And saying, oh, they, they had it so terrible. You know that they didn't have the unions brought us air conditioning and and uh, shorter shorter hours and all that. And and even with something with air conditioning, I, I mean, I'll sound real insensitive here, but like there's like human beings existed for a really long time without air conditioning, like a, a long time, way more than they've had air conditioning for for sure um but now it's like it's just it's like someone everyone has a right to that they've got a right to they've got a right to everything and charlie was talking about like the evolution of our society and everything one thing that scares me is uh, if i think a thousand years down the road what kind of society are we going to have if we're if we're built on individuals not having responsibility for their for their own lives like is that if you're just a a purely uh evolutionary theorist like that's what you're that's what you're thinking about like is that something good if you're going to look at the species and say well that species should not have any kind of responsibility for its own well-being that it should be dependent on something else for its well-being how long is that species actually going to make it really you know like that's not a very good that's not a very good theory from like a, a evolutionary standpoint, in, in my opinion. So I think it's really interesting that that so many people think that that's that that's somehow a good idea. But the uh, the idea that you're we're in this this place now and we're poor. Like I've been I've, I haven't been poor for a long time, but uh, honestly, by a lot of people's standards, I've been poor for the last several years. Um, but poor meant that I had a Honda Civic and a and a and a house close to Nashville and a, and a cell phone and plenty of food at home and a nice bed to sleep in. Right, and, things aren't perfect, you know, but but they're better. But like yeah. so, like compare the standard of the poor today to the poor a hundred years ago, and it's so obvious that we've been moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, we've got to somehow make this case that it's that we have to keep moving in this right direction that yeah sure some people at the top are getting insanely wealthy and that might feel unfair compared to some people at the bottom but as they continue to rise up and that might make you that might make you envious or, or whatever it does as they continue to rise up they are bringing the bottom up with them and in that process that really can't be denied because you can look at the standard of living for people at the bottom over the last 100 years and it's obviously been in the strong upward line this whole time. So we got to figure out a way to, to convey that message to people who think emotions first in a, in a situation, um, as a lot of libertarians don't really go emotions first, although my, my wife, who's really good at comebacks, uh, will say, well, you're thinking emotions first. You're just really emotional about liberty. <laughs> huh. <laughs> she's, hmm. she's really good at that, <laughs> by the All way. Right. But um, so... Maybe we do think emotions first. We just uh, we just really really care about having your own individual liberty. I, I don't. Know. I guess I do get I do get pretty angry when I feel uh, you know pushed around. Yeah. If we're if we're talking about uh, emotional responses, every 
every little hoop I have to jump. So I, I like part owned a, a comic book store in Illinois for like a year or something. Um, my cousin uh, would take care of all of the back end accounting tax filing. If I would have even seen that, I probably would have been so enraged <laughs> that I would have just punched a hole through the wall. And I'm, that's not even much of an exaggeration. Yeah. Like that stuff really, really sets me off, you know, because I mean, and maybe maybe the kinds of um, these real world examples are the sorts of things that people can use to persuade others in their lives to uh, to see situations through a different lens. But in terms of that comic book store, I mean, uh, you know, we had to pay to get like a, a business license. Um, and what did we get in return? Is it like, okay, well, we're the government and we're here to protect your property and security, right? Like that's the line. They didn't send me locks or an alarm system or, a, you know what I mean? Like we had to right. buy that stuff ourselves. They didn't give me a camera. We just basically had to throw some money down a hole. And then they said, okay, you're allowed to sell comic books and magic cards right. to people. It didn't do anything. And so it, it took everything. And I mean, apologies to some more conservative listeners if like there's emotional attachments to police, but it took everything in my power after that because I, I kind of see the state as all as just one thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, that when, when, when I got a phone call from the like police association or whatever it's called, asking for donations more or less. Yeah. I, oh, I was just so enraged. I'm just like, you, what do you want from me? You already took all this money and gave me nothing in return. And now you're calling me to ask me for money. Yeah. They- I, wa- I mean, I was polite, but on the inside. I was I was just like ready to go off. Like I can't believe the gall of these people to just ask me from you already take it. Right. But without Leave me alone. And I have no choice. And you got to do that yearly, by the way. Yeah, so well, like, for business quarterly. <clears throat> right. Yeah. And like so, you know, owning a business now, like when you stroke that check, like whether you pay quarterly or yearly, I, I have an LLC so I'm allowed to do yearly, but it's like in April, I wait till the last minute. But it's like you write that check and you're like, Oh my God, yeah. all the things I've could have done with this money. Like I could have hired probably two or three people with that money. Yeah. I felt like I get the call. I felt like it was, um, it was like the, like a girl you like asking you for your friend's phone number. It's like, what, (laughs) (laughs) what's that called? It's like, how dare you? Right. How dare you call me and ask me this question? I have to ask you, uh, you know, I, you talk about getting your news, you know, some from, from some people you follow and stuff like that. I'm sure you know that the Democrat debates are, are happening right now. Yeah. And we talked a lot about on the show. It's almost like a uh, it's a battle to see who can steal the most amount of your money and then give it to everyone else. And so with that going on and you see like the latest some, some of the latest polls where young people are more apt to prefer socialism over capitalism. Do you see any hope? in like the ideas that we talk about and and is there any type of optimism because i feel a lot of times i get pretty pessimistic about the outlook of of the ideas that we believe in so much that because we believe that it'll help the most amount of people do you ever feel like there is any optimism in 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 the direction that we're heading and let's say the the ideas that we all that we love and pursue yeah, that that's a tough one. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different angles from which I could uh, approach that, but um, I mean, of course, there, there's the old adage, right? This, that um, if you're not 
a liberal in your 20s, then you don't have a heart. And if you're not conservative in your 30s, you don't have a brain. You know, so so the, the idea of like when you're younger, um, redistributive uh, ideas and programs appeal to you, that, that's been around for a long time. Uh, so in that sense, it's nothing new, but it is hard to, to see where you could approach people um, because, I mean, who doesn't like the idea of getting stuff for free? Yeah, right? especially I mean, a young person. Good. I mean, you it just, sound, yeah. you want people to give you things. Sounds awesome. Yeah. And it, it it's really, so there's so much complexity to every issue, you know, whether whatever, healthcare, the welfare state, education, like any, anything you might want to talk about, um, you could spend, a, you know, a full day's work becoming an expert in that particular topic. So it is tough to be on the end that doesn't have the uh, the level one emotional appeal, right? Because uh, socialist, central planning, uh, you know, welfare state ideas do have that sound better in the first 10 words appeal. If you're just a young person who's, uh, to, to borrow a phrase from my friend Michael Kramer out there, um, whose ideology is I'm against the bad stuff, which is that that's where most people start, I think, right? Like... You know, you're just living your own life and politics, government, it's whatever you hear in the periphery. And so what you naturally, the, the philosophy naturally adapt is just being against the bad stuff. And so, like, there's some people that are sick, they can't afford treatment. Well, that sounds, that sucks. Okay, so what do you want to do? Do you think uh, government should pay for treatment? Well, yeah, obviously, that's, yeah, I'm against the bad stuff. I want to, so because it takes more more research, more sifting through complexities um, to e even just one tiny little issue, you know, let alone being an expert about the whole, like, political sphere. Um, it takes so much to just have all of your facts straight about one topic that it is hard to make those appeals. And, and I guess in what you're saying, it, it is kind of hard to be optimistic because it's so much easier even if it is fallacious to just be like, well, people need this, so the government should pay for it. Oh, well, that that sounds compassionate. That sounds nice. I, I guess I'll just your, be uh, that. You got to get your point of view out in one tweet right now. And then mm -hmm. the problem is we can't get our point of view across in one tweet. Oh, dude, it's <laughs> it's all about zingers, man. Yeah. Like, for, for real, you were mentioned, talking about the debates. I mean, debates have kind of always been about zingers, but now that there's Twitter, now that there's social media, I think politics is getting more and more um celebrity driven uh, and i don't mean just movie stars i mean uh what a politician is and what a celebrity is i think are beginning to merge i think it's one of, that's kind of how in some ways donald trump won is that whether it was him or his team or whatever people around him i think recognized that the power of of zingers of snappy lines you know that make people laugh because it doesn't you could be throwing logical fallacies out all day but if you get that emotional reaction somebody laughs they're gonna have a favorable impression towards you and um and kind of embracing celebrity and that it's it's about kind of your character and that's that's why i think whoever is on um uh aoc's like team is is really smart you know they're doing like really clever things because she's a celebrity and she became a celebrity almost overnight and I'm, I'm, I'm sure she has a lot of the, the personality qualities, like, already to kind of 
step into that role, you know? But um, yeah, consistent zingers from her Twitter account, you know, using like snappy language. Uh, and I think, I think the political world is, is going more and more, more and more in that direction. Um, and whether, I don't know whether that's like positive for our side or not, because I, I think what I'm really grateful to the election of Donald Trump for is uh, removing the veneer of you have to respect the office. He's an elected official. I think it's great that uh, there's so much venom being spewed uh, because that that that's what I, I don't want uh, these tyrants to be respected. I want them to be laughed at and treated with like ridicule and contempt and derision. Um, so maybe maybe the fact that like Twitter is a lot more important than you know C-SPAN and Meet the Press. Uh, maybe it helps in that in that regard because now in somebody you look up any politician, like their mentions, it doesn't matter what side they're on. Uh, you click on their tweet. Most of the responses are are the negative ones. You know, mm-hmm. whoever whoever likes Donald Trump isn't the one responding to who his tweets. Whoever likes AOC, not the one responding to her tweets. It's all the people. It's like negativity. You know, which is is what I want towards politicians. It's not what I <laughs> don't not towards like your friends and family and and the you know the the cashier at Walmart or or the person at the gas station or any of those folks. Just the just just the politicians. The bad, the bad part about this, or kind of the disappointing part about this that I see is we do see all this negativity spewed towards Donald Trump. And, and of course, what, what people hate about Donald Trump is not really who he is. They hate that who he is and the power that he has. And, and it's those two things put together. But I don't feel like anyone is going to transfer that over to whoever the next president is because, you know, what they what they really hate and all the negativity towards the office or towards towards our government it, for whatever side of the aisle you're on it all kind of goes away when your guy gets in there you know yeah that and that is unfortunate yeah. that's you know because it's not it's not vitriol that's directed towards the ruler it's towards the other team yeah. and, and that's the bummer and you can see it mirrored like in every you know like like right now all what what are the sort of goofy uh kind of silly conspiratorial like like trump's a what he's he's a russian he's agent a russian agent yeah. and what's the i don't know there's some and a secret kkk member or something but you can take that back to when obama was in office and it was like he, he was, was he was born in kenya and he's like a secret muslim terrorist right. or something it's so absurd uh so yeah everything you know you flip to the other side and everything it's it's just the two sides of the and, same coin you know right and that's yeah that's the biggest thing i just wrote an article about the the debt that the u.s has and it's like you know conservatives during obama were all concerned about our deficits and the debt and all that and now like trump is running and, and well really it's congress but congress the, the republicans let's say the the supposed conservatives are in control still and we're running the highest deficits and adding more to the debt than any president ever has in the first two years or three years now. And it's like, where are the conservatives at on that? It's like, they, it's like, it's okay if my guy spends all the money. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's yeah. the other guys that we don't want to, we don't want them to spend the money. It's like, there's no baseline. Um, I guess, pr- I don't, I don't think there's, there's no, right, con- yeah, there's, right no there's no consistency metric. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that one's hard to that one's hard to break because it's like a psychological attachment, you know. Most most of your day, the the way that government intrudes is through just like low level bureaucracy, whatever, like getting pulled over or trying to build a new thing on your house, and you got to get the guy to come out and like, no, it's got to be this tall, it's got to be this far away from the sidewalk, you know. The regulations that may have been on the books for a long time, um, the stuff that's on TV doesn't really affect you and so in that sense it doesn't matter how these people act it's just what color they are what letter they have in front of them and so people are going to have that psychological like whether it's support or opposition it is going to be a lot more uh, emotionally based do you think uh do you think we're more hateful and divided now than than ever or is it just with social media we can see all of it i think it's that i think it's i think it's social media maybe uh that maybe that fuels it a little bit but i don't know i feel like every i mean i'm not old but i I got a few years on you guys and and i remember pretty clearly like the whole bush you know w but i feel like it was the same then or at least very close i mean he was just absolutely Satan to people. Mm-hmm. And so to to have seen everything play out and now with Donald Trump in office, people like um pining for, for Bush again. You never like I never would have believed that, you know, in the early two thousands that that was gonna happen. That you would have Democrats be like, Man, I just I, I miss George Bush, you know. It's like <laughs> with, Whoa. With, you know what I miss? Our war protests. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great to see sometime? Well, yeah, that's the, you know, it's it's far away. It just, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's like an out of sight, out of mind. And the thing is, this is where, um, this is where the major media is really like the culprit and the most important because they um, direct outrage. Yeah. You know, it, outrage is, it's not like people have a hierarchy of here's the worst thing going on in the world and that's what I'm mad at. And then here's the second worst thing going on in the world and that's what I'm going to be mad at next. It might be the 161st worst thing going on in the world, but if that's what the New York Times and the Washington Post, you know, um, whatever other outlets, CNN, if that's what they're talking about and that's the headline, then that's going to be the number one most important thing we got to solve today, and that's the thing that I'm outraged about. It doesn't matter how it is proportionally to, like, an objective sort of morality. You know, it's it's just... Uh, what the program directors in media rooms say, we're going to talk about this and, and we're going to write about this. Um, so they're, they're really the culprits. And like uh, that, in terms of optimism and in terms of like changing people's opinion, um, media is so powerful that, that that's one that's hard to break through, you know? I mean, media directs what, that's what people think. So of course you'd be in favor of strong government regulation. Media, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. It is funny hearing that, you know, I, I, I peruse a lot of like the YouTube talking heads and stuff. And it is funny hearing how many people on the right are just suddenly like, we need to we need to regulate all of the, the you know the government needs to come in and I don't know what they want give conservatives equal time or something it's like what do you think is it's really myopic because um, I don't know if you if you recall back when there was antitrust concerns about Microsoft mm-hmm. because of like uh, Internet Explorer coming with Windows people thought yeah. that like this is too dangerous the media player too was a was a big yes issue with that too. Microsoft yeah. is just going to control everything they've got the internet browser they've got the operating system um we need to break this up you know you wait 
a few more. Like, yeah. who uses Internet Explorer? Like, no one under 60 or whatever uses it. Well, it's like <laughs> 10 years ago. Uh, any Well, I guess people would still say it now, too. But 10 years ago, everyone would say that Walmart is a monopoly, you know? And that's a term that's thrown around without any basis yeah, wh- whatsoever. Because uh, if... A monopoly? If, you can't buy a hose what, anywhere it, else? Yeah, like, a, you literally can't get your groceries anywhere else. Is that what you mean? That you have no other options? But and And then... Since I've I do some stuff in the stock market, you know I've seen in the last few years people have been talking about Walmart going out of business because of Amazon. Oh wow! Yeah, so I'll tell you what Walmart has a monopoly on is fifty cent mini pies. Yeah, <laughs> which are delicious and get me every time I'm in the checkout line. They got like six flavors, fifty cents, and they're amazing. They've got those. That's uh, my endorsement. I don't know if you've had those Lara bars before. The they're like these really simple. They're like. It's like a granola bar, only it's only made out of like two or three things. They, uh-huh. use, they don't put any sweeteners in it or anything. They use dates for sweetening and things like that. Well, those are like $3 a box at Walmart, and they're like six fifty at Publix oh, over here. Like, there you go. Like, I mean, that's a that's a monopoly if I ever heard of it. <laughs> you know what Publix has? It's funny. We're joking about monopoly. They have a local monopoly on broccoli sprouts. I can't get them anywhere. Really? That's it. Yeah, I go to even even Turnip Truck. You'd think like a frou-frou place like Turnip Truck would have broccoli sprouts. <laughs> they don't have but, them. But as, as a, you know, I'll mention this book in every program, I guess. But in basic economics, you will hear Thomas Sowell mm-hmm. point out the fact that a monopoly has to be based not on your share of the market, but on your ability to keep others from entering the market. Mm. So, so Walmart doesn't have a monopoly. Because they're not the only place you can go, first off. So they're not a monopoly. But they also can't stop anyone from entering the market except if they have such cheap prices that no one else can compete with them. And unfortunately, with antitrust laws, that's actually been, most antitrust cases have been prosecuted against companies that were charging a cheaper price for something. Not because they were charging a higher price because they had a monopoly. They've actually been prosecuted, for the most part, against companies that were charging too low of a price for something. Man. And so that's... (laughs) It's a, uh, it's it, it's one of those rules that like you would hear people say, yeah, we need we need antitrust laws to fight against monopolies, but then at the end of the day, the actual outcome of those kind of policies are keeping people who were cheaping who were uh, producing things at a cheaper price from being in the market, which is bad for everyone. Yeah, talk about like a problem that doesn't need solving, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, hey, these guys are selling pants cheaper than everyone else. We got to do something like about the it. Evil like, what Amazon. do we got to? I go yeah. buy a pair. That seems like you know. Yeah, like Amazon, they're they're a monopoly, right? I mean, like, they, no, I mean they're they, awesome. I don't. They actually only they only hold it's something twenty or thirty percent of the on of online retailing is is Amazon, but they're still like people talking about them being broken up because yeah, they're yeah. too big of a company. Okay, so I you guess. know th- this is like this is tangential, but something I notice like I don't know something that I've seen a lot, right? People talk about uh, taxing Amazon, or they talk about. Um, Amazon being offered tax incentives to enter certain cities to build in those cities, and that's um, met with a lot of opposition. Yeah, it's in the same kind of uh, thread of thought of like wanting to tax churches because uh, you know some people think they're wielding a political opinion, they're taking political stances, which they shouldn't do. You know, legally, I guess if if they're a five hundred one c three. Yeah. Um, what I noticed through all that though that always uh, kind of triggers me is um, the the 
thought of taxation as punishment, right? Yeah. So it's like, we see something wrong. They need to be taxed. So this is stopped. But no uh, thought of responsibility for what the money is actually going yeah. for, right? So it's yeah. like, if if I asked you for $50, like even a friend, you would ask me, what for? You, yeah. you wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't just be like, sure, it's over there. You'd say like, well, why do you need $50? Is there? But because we, so many people think of taxation as just a form of like punishment, they may as well be throwing the money down a hole. So I, I wish that value could change. I wish that any demand of tax this or that entity could be met with, well, first I need to see an expense report. What is it that you need to pay for? How much is that going to cost? Why is it going to cost that much? And show me what, you know what I mean? Like it, it we're so far down the line of taxes being thought of as just the hole the money gets thrown into yeah. that it doesn't e- it doesn't even matter what it's what it's going towards. One of the things we always talk about, and I don't know where you'd be on this, but with the corporate welfare kind of talk, that that kind of thing, which I I we first we we like to differentiate between someone stroking a check to someone and someone getting a reduced tax. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I heard you say that the other day. Big difference. And, yeah. And uh, so I get we, mad at that too when they say pay for a tax cut yeah, or something like that. Yeah, for a tax cut that drives me insane Hando. because you're. I, I I should have like a macro on Reddit to respond yeah. to that because I'm constantly. <laughs> it's just like a tax so, break is not a subsidy. Yeah, it is just being stolen from less. Yeah, that's, that's all, not a that's subsidy. That's all it is. I think what I said the other day was you know someone goes around your neighborhood and steals a thousand dollars from everyone, uh, and and uh, they pick one house and they only steal eight hundred dollars from them, and your response is hey you got to take more money from that guy you only right. took 800 from and and as if that's the moral virtue right there is make sure that they get stolen from the same amount when we're not talking about the fact that why are we getting our money taken against our will like that's the actual question because yeah. i don't get mad when i see that the company got a tax break i'm glad that they made it out of the freaking prison that we're all in same like I, i'm yeah, glad anybody but you know, it it is tough because there there's that impulse of uh, fairness that we all have yeah, you know so, what i mean and it 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 hits that whenever you see somebody not getting it as bad as you are. Why is why isn't that guy getting yeah. it as bad as I am? We should, you should you should hurt him as much as you're hurting me. It's, it's we're we're all in this prison camp together, and the, you know it's like we're we're uh, we're all in this concentration camp, and someone you know one of the guards lets someone out, and everyone's yelling about how they so, go get them and bring them back in here. This is unfair. When the, you should be like. Yeah, that guy got out. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And that that's is so interesting great. how there is it that's like a it's a deep down impulse yeah. too, you know? And I mean that that's what drives that thought of taxation as punishment. Um it it's that impulse that everyone has to get it equally rather than celebrating if somebody gets a break. Yeah. Right. The other thing would be fines. Like, you know, like all these rules and regulations that unelected bureaucratic agencies have you know, like for instance, Facebook just had to pay a, a five billion dollar fine. Oh yeah, no fault really of their own. Yeah, like yeah. Cambridge Analytica, like whatever. Like we voluntarily give our information to Facebook, but it's like they had to pay a five billion dollar fine because like it was like something. I think eighty seven million people were affected by privacy, whatever. But it's like, how many of those eighty seven million people are going to see anything from that five billion dollar fine? And the answer yeah. is zero. So like. When the when the government issues like a real punishment like a fine, it doesn't right. go to any of the victims. Oh no, and I, I had goes, a firsthand experience of that. Yeah, right. It goes straight to to the government. And it's like, what? Do, then what do they? What do you benefit Where's from that? Where's the justice? Yes. Right. Yeah, Where that happened to me when um, my car got hit 
by an uninsured driver back in Illinois. Like he he hit my car, it was parked, drove off. A neighbor heard it, so he came in. It was like super early in the morning. Um, and I I don't know like I don't know if the neighbor called the cops or if someone was nearby, but he was caught. And uh, so I thought, hey, this is great. I'm gonna get restitution. So like you know, I always drive old Craigslist clunkers. So like insurance <laughs> company barely gave me anything, not enough money to buy another car. Um, whatever fines or restrictions or punishments that guy had, I didn't see any of it. And then I got a letter in the mail a couple years ago that said uh, he had to pay this uh, $750 reinstatement fee to get like his license back. That goes to the state yeah. unless he writes a letter of direction to the, sec- the Illinois Secretary of State Telling them to otherwise direct them. Well, what incentive does he have to do that? Why would he do that? He has to pay it. It's gone. Why (laughs) is he going to write a letter to the Secretary of State telling him to to give it to me? And there was nothing I could do. I called the Secretary of State's office. I tried to, I'm like, hey, man, can I have this money for the guy that hit my, like my property was destroyed? Isn't the whole line that the state protects our property, you know, which of course doesn't actually happen, you know? And all the guy told me to do he was encouraging me to personally sue him. He was like, you know, I'd I'd even pay a few thousand dollars uh, to get seven fifty if it meant teaching somebody a lesson. I'm, like, okay. <laughs> I'm glad that cool. you're in that position. That's great for <laughs> you. Do, do you that. do you want to fund my lawsuit then? Yeah. That's... Anyway, I'll just go ahead and blow up a spot though for our Illinois listeners. His name was Kobe Vote V O G T, I think. Okay. So if anybody knows him, uh, go tell him he owes me $750. Kobe vote. Yeah, he lived in, well, I mean, I don't want to do anything that qualifies as doxing, so I can't say that. (laughs) I don't even know where he lived, actually. I was just going to say a town. But Kobe vote. Just He owes me money. (laughs) Tell him to give me my money. It's the sad part (laughs) about our justice system is that there's rarely ever justice served for the victim. Yeah. Ever. You know, whatever the crime is. And if it's a physical thing, you know, it's it's kind of hard to really serve that justice back, back to the victim. But especially when it's a uh, someone taking your property and, and it has a monetary value and they have to pay a fine to the government, it should be a no-brainer that that money goes to the victim because the whole point of the system is for justice yeah. because something was taken from you. And the the... I, I think it's pretty obvious that this incentivizes just more and more laws and more fines because they don't have to give the money back to the people. They get to keep the money. So mm-hmm. why not just make as many as many different laws and as many different things you can find people on that there could possibly be? Uh, and and then you don't really have to worry about it because you get to keep all the money. So Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's really infuriating, man. Yeah. That, like, that, that set me off because it had been long enough where I had just forgotten about it. And then I got this letter in the mail, and then this whole, he's got to write a letter of direction. I'm just like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was too much. Like, you really got to rub this in my face after I'd already completely forgotten about it? And what if he doesn't know how to write? <laughs> then what? What if you went to a public school system? And he, I mean, he that's a legit thing. Yeah. I tried everything, dude. I found him on Facebook. I messaged him. I'm like, can you please just write this? Like, you destroyed my car. Just, just write it. Come on, man. <laughs> write it. No, <laughs> I'll write it for you. Yeah, <laughs> sign your name to it. Come on. Yeah. So yeah. I've been robbed so many times throughout my music travels. Like, oh, I know. So it's heartbreaking. Times. It's heartbreaking. Did you, have you been? Did you ever get anything stolen from you while you were traveling? O- only, only a small amount. Thankfully, it wasn't like. Uh, it, well, I haven't been in the boat that that you've been in. Um, 
you know, knock on wood, but it was just a, it was a suitcase that had, it had like my, uh, my foot switch in it. I think it had a trumpet, but it wasn't like an expensive one. It had some cords. So yes, but not, I haven't had like all my band's gear, stolen amps and everything. Yeah. We had, uh, when we were in San Francisco, our first time ever in San Francisco, uh, I think 45 minutes in the city and we got in the sound check in our vehicle that um, <laughs> the door was broken open on it and our uh, suitcases were gone. We had cell phones in there charging mm-hmm. our laptops. Uh, um, the worst thing we had stolen, this will teach, this is, this is for anyone who wants to know about things that are really valuable. I had a hard drive that had every video I'd ever taken of any of my band traveling wow. throughout my entire musical career and i had an external hard drive that had all those videos on it from all that time and i all i wanted back from that whole i would have paid double the amount of money that we lost total to get that hard drive back because i don't have any of those videos anymore they're they're all gone and i mean we have videos you know from sleeping and you know we slept in some vans i think we probably slept in some vans together now i think about it maybe we'll do it tonight yeah maybe (laughs) Let's, let's go but uh um the uh you know that that was the most valuable thing that we lost, and then you can't get that back. That's just not. And that guy probably, assuming it was a guy, they probably tossed it in a, in a dumpster because it wasn't really worth any money to them. That's a yeah. sad part. But it's a it's a dangerous job out there traveling around. You probably just music. saw your Illinois license plate. Like look at these rubes. Yeah. I'm gonna take them for everything they're worth. <laughs> they're used to it. These, these <laughs> a bunch of corn fed yokels. Let's take I, their stuff. I've been robbed once, and I was with Nate when it happened. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've been robbed six times now, all the all together. Six so, times. Yeah, doing the construction business that uh, Kristen and I started um, when we were home from traveling. Uh, we we um we started flipping houses in Nashville and and. We would hire people to work for us and paid them decent money and everything. But we made the mistake one time of going out of town and letting a guy uh, continue on a job and leaving our tools with him. Mm. Uh, he'd been working with us for months at that time. Um, but I know, and this this kind of feeds my ideology a little bit, but I know why he switched. And the reason is because I had a bunch of invoices sitting in the van that said how much we were getting paid to uh, do the things that he was getting paid hourly to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. And I just, I know that's what set him off. He had been with us for months at that time. And, and he, you know, what, whatever that he pressure washed the house and we paid him $15 an hour to pressure wash a house. And of course we, we charged, you know, $400 to pressure wash the house. And, and he probably got paid 60. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't think about the fact that if the pressure washer would have broken, then we would have had to buy a new one during that job, or we had to buy the pressure washer in the first place. We were, or or just we were, or just that he agreed to it. Yeah, it, he, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're making a billion dollars. Yeah, pressure. You, if you say like, hey, would you like to do X for Y? Yeah, I'm like yeah, cool, okay. Yeah, so that it's just a little bit of that ideology playing out in the real world still too. That hatred for seeing what the the business owner makes, you know, compared to what the employee is making, um, that. That was bad, but I wanted to um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your music. How many bands would you say you have played an instrument in? Oh, not even been like an actual member, how but many, played an instrument. Just in a like, how many different bands? I mean, with without play? counting, I don't, at least a couple of dozen. I would, yeah. you know, that I've between fill in gigs and and uh, doing like one off tours and stuff. Yeah, it's probably in the twenty five, thirty or something. And that you said. A trumpet earlier reminded me that you play trumpet, don't you? Yeah, I, you know, I, I should have uh, really kept up more 
with like I should have gone hard and practicing that uh, more for a little yeah. while there because I didn't realize prior to moving to Nashville that like if you do some of those unorthodox school band kind of things, mm-hmm. you can get a lot of gigs and a lot of people wanting you to, to play yeah. on their records, you know. Some advice for uh, for, for the young folks yeah. out there. <laughs> if you're in keep, the band. <laughs> keep those school band skills up, man. If you If you move to town and you're just like the woodwind guy and you can go and record sax and clarinet and flute on somebody's record or if you you got like two or three brass instruments you can go do that you you can play on a lot of stuff yeah i i really wish i would have kept up with it too that's i was thinking thinking about the trumpet because that's actually how charlie and i really met and became friends because we both played trumpet in a high school band and sat next to each other i was no oh, that's cool um just slightly uh a higher chair than he was but um <laughs> That, that's okay. It was seniority, really. That's probably what it was. <laughs> but yeah, that's how we met was playing trumpet. And uh, I always thought it was really cool seeing uh, seeing arts and sciences out when we saw you guys. And, uh, you know, you guys had all those unique uh, unique things going on. And uh, yeah. seeing some brass instruments out there and crazy percussion things going on and all that kind of stuff. They're really creative. But I, I wanted to play a little bit of your your current I don't, it's, I mean, it's your band, right? Or is it, is it, I mean, it's, it's me. And then from time to time when I play, I just get different accompaniment. I've got some, you know, kind of a handful of people that I can just say like, Hey, you interested in playing? If somebody wants to come play electric for me or keys, or I can do the shows by myself too. Yeah. So, uh, this is, uh, this is a little ghost. Yeah. And, that's, uh, that's what it's called. This song is called uh, everything you hate. And I'll just play a few seconds of it. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> thing on my phone is actually i'll probably say it right is uh is bon iver oh yeah so that that's the the most played second would be norma jean 
Uh-huh. But <laughs> I, lo- I love the, the disparity there. That's great. Yeah, so uh, Bon Iver's got some new stuff out, and I probably listen to one of their new songs probably, uh, I don't know, like 10 times a day right now. So Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. But, yeah, that, that kind of style. And then, uh, like, uh, like Iron and Wine, mm-hmm. that you like, like them? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, so, they were a big, uh, when we were doing, when Mike and I were doing pretty much that same style years ago as the Poconos, yeah, it was like Iron and Wine, Sufjan, and probably yeah. Copeland were like kind of the three things that we were uh pulling from i guess yeah do you play uh do you play in nashville much um i would not say much yeah uh i've been able to play in this project maybe at a clip of about like once a month something will come up um I, i've you know i do other fill-in gigs for people yeah. and things like that one um, thing that's misunderstood is it's not all that amazing to play music in Nashville. Like, no, it's no. It's not that great. It's more of like a hub. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can meet people, you can write with people. Um, it, it's definitely the place where you can be like, you can be Ubering someone who produced an album that you love and then you can get yeah. their number. You know, the, the connections can happen. It's certainly not a place where you just come and like play a show and 200 people show up. You're like, no, that's... That's not the way it is. No. But, you know, I, I do some of the normal Nashville stuff. I do some, like, writer's nights and things like that. And I kind of have different tunes that I play that fit that vein more. And, yeah. I uh, I Ubered this guy. I picked him up in Franklin, and he uh, we got to talking. Uh, he did soundtracks for movies, and he was working on a soundtrack with uh, with Trent Reznor at the, oh. the time. And I was like, wow, that's, I mean, that's my favorite person for movie soundtracks uh, already. Um, so that you can always meet people like that in town. You never know who you're going to run into. And, uh, so it's, it's not the best town to actually play out in. People would always ask my band if we played in Nashville much and we'd be like, uh, kind of don't really want to all, all that much. You know, there's not that many venues that will let you play your own music. A, a lot of times it's certainly not the like the, the broadway strip or anything yeah. like that it's like maybe like the end that's sort of the yeah. smaller size basement like, kind punk of venue the, yeah the basement that kind of thing um har- i don't know if they still do but hard rock has the venue upstairs and they would actually do they would let like local artists or oh, really? original artists mm-hmm. play their own things up there and uh that that was always good but people don't really understand that all the all the places down on broadway like those aren't people playing their own stuff uh, ever. Yeah, yeah, they're catering to the, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of tourism here, yeah. and people want to see, you know, they want the TV Nashville experience, which yeah. I'm I'm not a hater of yeah. tourism like a lot of people are. Like, it's, you know, it's it's fun to come into town and I think coming from, that. coming from Illinois, we would know what it's like to be in a dying place, and we know yeah. what it feels like to be in a place that's growing. Oh, and, yeah. And so I much prefer... The growing, for yeah, sure, it's cool, man. Kind. There's high rises going up all over the place. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. We, uh, I guess, are we, are we, are we good, Charlie? What do you think? Do you want to close us out? To cl- to close us out? Yeah, I think I think that's uh, I think that's a ridiculously good show. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I thought I was just coming over to like talk about some stuff, yeah. and they're like, "Hey, let's turn the mics on." Yeah. You did come over and talk about stuff. Okay, just, fair yeah, enough. Fair stuck enough. Stuck a mic right in front of your face. Yeah, yeah. But you know. uh, man, thanks for coming over and, and chatting with us. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, you're gonna do a couple maybe uh, Liberty articles. Ma- yeah, maybe that, that's what that's for it. Yeah, yeah, that's what we we're gonna discuss. I guess. Yeah. Well, well, here yeah. we are discussing. Yeah. And so uh, no, it's just really good to uh, you know talk with a with a good friend and talk about the ideas and uh, guys. You can go to GoodMorningLiberty.us or BernieLies.com, and uh, we we just put up a merch store. So yeah. if you want to defeat socialism, 
you can help us with that. And uh, all the money that you spend on that merch store goes directly into our bank account. So we can't thank you <laughs> enough for that. Uh, and uh, we'll put a link to his stuff. And uh, we'll put a link to uh, Dustin's stuff. Sure. And, and uh, guys, we hope you have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.